Hey guys, welcome back to the Seasons of Womanhood. Again, my name is Dr. Max, and I'm super excited today because I have four extraordinary women with me. Um, these are four women that I went to medical school with, and it's just going to be a great chit chat series today, basically with my sister Doc. So we'll so, start with Zalanda. Maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, what your specialty is, and maybe what state you're in. My name is Zalanda. I went to med school with Maxine and all these lovely ladies in here. Um, I did my residency in radiology in Tampa. And then um, fellowship I did at Hopkins in Baltimore. And I just moved back to Florida. I'm settling in Orlando. I joined a um, hybrid practice group. That means um, I can teach uh, medical residents and medical students, and then there's also like a private license. Hey guys, I'm LaShan Walker. I went to med school obviously with Maxine. I did my residency in Virginia in family medicine, and I've been practicing as a family physician for since 2017. Okay. Next is Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea. I did my residency in anesthesia at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. And then I went to the University of Pennsylvania for my fellowship in critical care medicine. Um, I currently work in Queens, New York um, at a community slash level one trauma center. And um, I interact with um, patients from all walks of life. Um, I do get to interact with residents as well and medical students. Um, and that's about it. Okay. And last but not least, we have Daniela. Hey everyone, I'm Daniela. I am a native New Yorker, now Rhode Islander. I'm a psychiatrist now, two years out of training, and I have a split position where I do a little bit of inpatient psychiatry as well as outpatient work, um, especially working with young adults. Okay, cool. All right. So, you know, basically, this channel is called the Seasons of Womanhood because as women, we go through different seasons, different challenges. And why I wanted you ladies on here today was basically for us to just discuss our experiences as physicians and the, the, the things that we went through and how it has shaped us to who you know we are now. So I just wanted to start with, if anyone would wanna discuss more so, like in our experience, whether it was it in medical school or training, how would you describe your experience uh, especially the med school that we went to, being the very few, the good, the bad, the ugly. What are your thoughts on that? I guess I'll start. So for me, <clears throat> I started med school kind of rough. I didn't hit the ground running, as they say. And obviously, you're in a new space. You don't know anyone. You're starting off fresh. And so it was so important for me to make friends with the people around me, which is how we kind of fostered our relationship from a course that was difficult for probably the majority of our class and just needing to be um, in study groups, needing to have support from those who are just kind of going through it with you. And I think once you've developed those relationships, you realize that, okay, I can do it. You know, people are cheering for me here. And so it made it a lot easier to remain motivated, to remain self-motivated and then have motivation around you. Obviously, it wasn't easy, <laughs> but having that support was helpful, especially mm -hmm. for people who look like you. Like, like you said, our class wasn't the most diverse. It's probably actually when you talk to other people who go to med school, our class was probably one of the most diverse of most people I've ever heard. 
which is ridiculous because I think it was like 20 of us <laughs> out of like 160. Mm -hmm. um, but just being able to see that, yeah, you know, you have high achieving girlfriends who are like at the top of the class, that kind of kept me going like, okay, yeah, I can, I can be more than, I can do more than. Because um, it's hard not to compare yourself to others sometimes um, when you're in such a large group and when you're used to being at the top of your class usually. Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of what LaShan just shared. I think for me, the challenge in terms of the transition into med school initially was mainly around the fact that I had been out of school for a couple years. So I didn't transition straight from college into medical school. And so a lot of those study habits and, and just adjusting to the pace of being a medical student was very difficult for me early on. Um, also being a first generation college graduate and of course the first doctor in my family, it was really challenging and isolating in terms of really feeling all those elements that come about when we talk about imposter syndrome. And that's why I think, again, much like what Lashan just shared, the, the sense of, of community and belonging really helped in terms of me figuring out the best ways to study and to recognize that there were other people that were feeling similar sentiments as I was at the time. Um, and then, you know, working towards eventually, ultimately believing in myself and the fact that I belonged to be there just as the next person did. So I think, you know, the, the initial transition was tough, but finding that community and, and that friend group really made all the difference for me. I applied to medical school, kind of on the thing of like, oh my gosh, you know, can I get in? Is it gonna be an easy try or not? And um, I was lucky enough that I got accepted. Um, and I was just like so enthusiastic to, to start this journey. Um, I worked through my first year of medical school because um, my immigration status was kind of murky in the sense that I wasn't eligible for a lot of um, federal aid and anything because I didn't have a green card yet. So I was able to finish my first year of med school, but then I had to take a leave of absence so I can sort <laughs> all that paperwork um, mm -hmm. stuff out. So for me, I think I felt confident that I can do the work in I had my family and some close friends who supported me, um, but that financial aspect was kind of difficult because not a lot of people are in that position. Mm -hmm. So once I took my hiatus, that's how I met all of you, which, um, which was very encouraging because, you know, when you enter a new medical school class, everybody thinks that you flunked out or you got held back especially, you know, given the complexion that you have. Mm -hmm. um, so that really didn't bother me too much. I just, I knew what I wanted to get out. Um, and once those immigration issues got resolved, then it, it was a, an easier path going forward. Um, residency and fellowship were fine because like you already know what you signed up to do, but there will be many times that you will be challenged just because you're a woman and then and then on top of that, you're a woman of color. So you just have to, you have to know yourself and don't sell yourself short just because of these experiences. I guess I would say uh, similar to uh, Daniela and Dolly, um, I too was a non-traditional um, in the sense that um, I too worked prior to going back to med school, but I was working in a medical profession. Um, when I was in college, I was kind of, um, even though I was doing well in my studies, um, my background is such that, you know, my family uh, came from Guyana and most 
children who have immigrant parents, especially from the West Indies, um, education is uh, uh, front and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, when I went to college, I didn't necessarily have a clear delineation or a clear path as to what I was going to necessarily do. I was kind of, you know, perseverating. I was like going to be doing science and being a biology teacher, doing immunology. And then I ran into uh, someone who was a physician assistant and she encouraged me to look into that. And long story short, um, I found that I really had an aptitude for doing medicine and, 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 you know, being involved in patient care. And so um, I had gone, I had done um, my physician assistant degree um, at SUNY Downstate, and I did quite well there. And then when I was done, I started working in um, ICU medicine and another community similar to where I work now. And the people that I worked with, the physicians that I were working, I was working with at the time, they were very encouraging. They really encouraged me. It was really women that really encouraged me in the ICU. They said, you know what, you're young, you should go back. And, you know, I kind of thought to myself, you know, I'm young, I don't have any children and, you know, um, let's see what happens. So I, I quit my job. I think that was like one year into my job and I quit. And, you know, my mom was not, you know, any West Indian parent will tell you that's, that's not a, that's not a good, yeah, that's not a good look. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to kind of convince her of this plan and I was working for DM jobs at the time. And I, you know, I finished up my prerequisites and then I applied and I said, you know, let's see what happens. And then long story short, I did get accepted to SUNY Upstate. Um, and from there I met you lovely ladies. And, um, when I went into med school, I kind of already had a plan. I knew I wanted to be an anesthesiologist and I still had a love for critical care. And I knew that being an anesthesiologist, I could still do, do what I wanted to do in the OR and still take care of critically ill patients in the ICU. So it was a nice, happy marriage, but it was definitely a long, arduous, challenging road. Um, like the said, especially being a woman of color um, and work and going to some of the institutions that I trained at, yes, you know, you commonly are mistaken for everything else but the physician. And um, you really have to have an inner confidence in yourself. And you really need to know, um, you really need to know your stuff. You really need to know your stuff and being confident in what you know, because you will be challenged. And initially, you know, what you say will be discounted. Um, and you have to kind of prove yourself over and over again until, you know, your name is associated with um, proficiency and competency and having good clinical outcomes. And then, you know, even then you still can't rest on it. You still have to continue to um, build that goodwill because, you know, you, when you walk into the scene, you're many, you know, especially women of color, but that melanin, we look like babies. So, you know, we go and we step up and we start speaking and everyone wants to know who's this little child and you really need to be able to back up what you say. So, but I think um, one thing that our story would show is that none of us gave up and we were, we persisted. Um, and um, now we're all attendings or happier <laughs> than how things kind of sorted out. Listening to what you guys have been saying, it makes me actually think about um, especially in training, when, once I started training, just trying to figure out where I fit in. Because I felt like for me specifically, I never fit in when it came to like the environment that I was in. And um, I think of one time one attending told me, know your stuff. Like 
need to be more assertive. Like, that's what she told me. And I started to think, like, why did I feel like I had to kind of shy down? Like, I was kind of the quiet person. Like, I came, did what I had to do, leave. Like, I kind of didn't really interact. And I don't know if I had these misconceptions that I felt like, I don't know, I felt like there was so much burden and, like, these stereotypes of what, you know, people may have about Black women. So I felt like I just had to just come, do what I had to do, and just leave because I didn't want any problems. But then at the same time, I saw that because of that, at times, it made people question, like, was I confident enough? Did I know my stuff? So I just wanted to speak more about that. Like, have you guys had any experience like that during your training, where you felt like you didn't fit in, or, you know, or, or how did you deal with situations like that? Absolutely. I, um, so, family med. Family med is a little bit of everything, and so probably from the time I started in July, until late October, November, I was kind of on a lot of off rotation. So NICU, pediatrics, OB, surgery, like so nothing pertaining to medicine, you know, the core of medicine. So once I went inpatient medicine, I actually started rotations with either people who were on some other medical specialty or people who had already even done another rotation of inpatient and I'm here like okay I'm ready to learn teach me obviously I'm going to still study and the way it was received by my seniors the way it was received by my some of my attendings it was tough like I mean inpatient sucks like everyone knows inpatient training sucks regardless Mm -hmm. and to feel like you chose a space where you felt like you would be supported and then have the support not be there or at least not the type of support that I need as a learn as someone who a trainee it was really tough for me um and so you know I did spend a lot of hours doing extra to prove that I could Mm -hmm. um kind of know the material learn the material take care of patients well and I want to say like my patients were never dissatisfied with my care it was always my seniors who made me feel like I wasn't offering good care my parent my patients always loved the way I interact with them my patients always loved the way I explained things to them because I knew my stuff like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day but I'm a type of learn like my personality system I'm you know I kind of need like a more gentle touch you know like with things and I had had one particular attending who his style of teaching was pimping and so obviously if you're teaching me the way I cannot learn I'm gonna do worse I'm gonna prove to you what you already go in thinking of me and so it was just so hard to excel and another thing is like you know we have in services um exam and residency you know when you first start everyone's like don't worry about the in services you don't got to study for it all of that so i was like okay i'm going in fresh like i'm gonna do my you know just base knowledge i bombed the in service of course i bombed the in service like i hadn't touched medicine in so long and that was held over me so long and so many of my my evaluations from my faculty members were that I did not know medical things. And then on my off rotations, attendings gave me excellent reviews. So I was like, okay, all right, this obviously doesn't make sense. And I felt like the, the review was always, oh, she needs to increase her medical knowledge. She's great, she needs to increase her medical knowledge. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm, I know I know my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard to find that confidence that no one else around you was encouraging you to do that other than a few. And I remember my second year, I went in and I like killed it. Like I did so well on my in services. And I remember thinking, okay, 
finally some vindication, right? And I remember someone, one of the other attendees who was in my corner literally telling me that this person said, oh, it's just in service. It doesn't mean that she knows anything. She's probably just a good test taker. So when I do bad, I'm a horrible person. I don't know the medical knowledge. Mm -hmm. When I do great, I'm just a good test taker. Which is it? Like, you got to pick one, you know? So it it was just a struggle. And, um, and, And I just... I still hold some disdain and just like dislike and distrust for the, 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 the interactions I had while I was in residency. But at the end of it, like I went there, I feel like I, I learned a lot. I'm in a role now that I like as a, an attending in an outpatient office, I'm working with residents or I'm able to work with residents and med students to teach. Um, and so I was able to kind of build my own confidence in that way where I felt like I just didn't have, have the cheerleaders until I like really had to prove myself on multiple different rotations that I knew my stuff and I could get my stuff going. And I, and I, I think either Andrew or you said it, like it comes to just kind of knowing yourself and knowing what you know mm-hmm. and not defining yourself by what other people define you as because otherwise I just go mad and have a mental breakdown which in residency you get close many times so I think just having having my own confidence really helped me at the end of it. As I was listening to you share that Lashan, all that I was thinking about is again why promoting diversity in medicine is so important, right? Because I think that that experience, that feeling of otherness that we all have at one point or another can be changed through that, right? And so naturally when you are the only POC woman in the room, it's initially going to take some time for you to feel empowered to speak up and to value your own contributions because the world hasn't taught you to do that. And so you know, I think we're all examples of trying to push that envelope forward and, and continuing to encourage that because only we can truly understand how it is that we learn, the type of support that we need, how we can work to promote retention and inclusion throughout our institutions. Nobody else can do that for us. And so there's so much power that comes from training with and under individuals that look like us. Mm-hmm. and that can relate to our experience in one way or another. I think that that dramatically changes your experience during medical education, during residency training, and, and without it, you continue to feel like you don't belong, right? Until you eventually grow into that space and, and declare yourself for what you are and are able to acknowledge that the diversity that you bring brings power along with it. So I think, you know, this this segment, your efforts in terms of, creating these conversations and, and allowing for, for access and, and further discussion of what it means to be in medicine and how to get there is, is just a wonderful example of us looking to dismantle the way that the house of medicine has existed for far too long. I just want to add um, mm-hmm. to, to what these lovely ladies are saying to kind of um, speak to the uh, opposite end of the spectrum because Maxine, by your nature, um, at least, you know, when I met you and when I met LaShan, um, but you were definitely softer and kinder and gentler, whereas my nature is I'm like a bull in a, you know, bull in a china shop. 
I'm going to call you on, you know, I'm kind of like to the point. Um, I'm, I'm wondering why you didn't include me in that description of the kindness yeah. and <laughs> Because you're similar to my nature, Danny. <laughs> I will include you in the kindness part. But we're definitely of the, you know, we're not going to, you know, you're not going to just say anything to us. I feel like with Shannon Maxine, you can say something to them. And if they don't agree, um, they would like nod and walk away and say, that's nonsense. Where me and you would be like, no, that's just nonsense. (laughs) And just not let it, you know, we're not going to let you, you know, walk away without you knowing that we think that that's nonsense too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's representative of uh, or indicative of, you know, the age discrepancy of when we started things or if it's just uh, large in part our nature. But what I will say is when I did my residency, I'd hate to say that I was the token black chick, but, you know, out of 20 something people, I was the only one, you know, representing, you know, people of color. And when you're in an institution like that, you know, and when there's so few of of us in between, we sort of have to pick and choose our battles. Mm-hmm. That being said, when you do make a stand on an issue, you know, and you feel the need to defend yourself, it quickly degenerates into you being aggressive. You'll see your counterparts who are getting away with far more, um, quote unquote, bad behavior mm-hmm. than you are. And you're wondering why is it when I'm, you know, articulating, I'm saying, hey, I don't think these things are okay for X, Y, and Z. You're being perceived as being a, you know, an aggressive, angry person of color, you know, instead of saying, hey, maybe there's something to what this person is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she has a perspective that we're not seeing. Um, I think that the movement that's happening right now and a lot of places that are being called out on it, I'm waiting to see it to happen more so in medicine. But, you know, even now as an attending, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, it's scarring because when you start to have conversations and you want to advocate for your patient, you know, something's being brought to you and you have certain concerns, you know, you think in the back of your mind, am I going to be perceived as being aggressive and being, you know, difficult um uh to work with when really what i'm trying to say is these are my concerns as a physician what are we going to do to address it um i don't want to say to you know the men and women out there who you know by chance might listen to this um even with all of my quote-unquote difficult difficultness aggressiveness i too somehow managed to become an attending and it is scarring and it does make you uh, want to pause, but I would say continue to be brave, um, especially if you're doing it in the context of patient safety. Mm-hmm. Don't think, don't do things that you perceive will hurt the patient or hurt yourself. Yeah. And if you feel the need to make a stand, know that you, you may be burnt by that stance, but as long as you leave there with your integrity and your respect, um, it will be okay. You know, I experienced the things in residency that, like LaShan said, was very distasteful, was very disheartening to the point where when I look at my daughter, it concerns me because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want her to experience any of the things that I ever experienced. Um, but it did shape me um, and it makes you instill in you, you're forced to have a confidence because no one, no one in medicine is going to prop you up. No one is going to tap you on the back and say you know you did a good job there you have to know within yourself that you did the best that you could for the patient you brought your a game 
And then, you know, you look to your sister doctors to say, hey, this is what I was thinking. Do you think yes or no? I always use your ladies to check me because I know that I can, you know, be a bit much. But that being said, I always try to put the patient first. Or I always try to put myself in, the, in that patient's shoes or the family member's shoes. And um, that's what I use to guide how I interact with um, uh, my co-physicians uh, in medicine and, and my loved ones. Okay. I think, you know, there's, there's a time and place for everything. And now we have this platform and it, it, it's a tremendous um, power because we have the ability to reach back and pull people forward. And because these um, experiences, they're not going to go away. Our numbers are not high enough um, in leadership positions mm -hmm. to do that yet. Mm -hmm. So we, we, have to, we have to work on this. Um, but, you know, as challenging as your role, as the road was, I think there were certain times that it was better for us to um, keep quiet in the sense and not stir the water so we can get to where we are now. Um, we had, like, we had classmates that, you know, didn't quite come as far and whether that's, you know, they, is it because of their attitude or is it because of their academic performance, like you will never see the full portfolio. But the state that we have reached now, there's still gonna be obstacles going forward because, you know, promotions, um, how, where do you wanna build yourself in the organization? But I, I want to use this opportunity and, and the, um, the temperature of the country now that we are not, you can't just push us over. You know what I mean? There's, um, I, I think like now that we actually have an audience outside of the people that we are trying to help. But I, I feel like it's still gonna be a, a long road going forward. But my goal is that if I have somebody who will reach out to me, I want to help that person. Now, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. We have to make sure that that person also wants to, or at least receptive to your ideas. Um, and then hopefully we can increase, increase more of our numbers and then get to these positions of leadership. Because once you have that, once you sit close enough to the fire, the conversation can be shaped. And I actually applaud you all because you all are actually are in places of academia, right? You guys, all of you, I believe, <laughs> except for me. <laughs> I definitely agree that we do need more people that look like us in academic institutions to help bring the generation behind us. So I applaud all of you guys for making time to spend time with, you know, the younger generations. This goes back to what Andrew was saying about kind of what motivated her. And my question more so is within your career, has there ever been a time where you guys wanted to quit medicine truthfully or you, you like love what you're doing. You couldn't see yourself doing anything else. <laughs> and if you felt like that, it, what kind of motivated you to keep on going? And I'll actually start with myself. So there was a time in, in residency, intern year, where I think that maybe medicine isn't for me. Maybe it's the place. Maybe this. And I had actually a conversation with a, a senior. He was the nicest senior ever. And he, he definitely helped and walked me through like my feelings. And I think for me, what, after, after that conversation, it was more just the burden of the transition from medical school to something new. And it wasn't about that I hated medicine. It was also a little bit about the culture, but um, that helped me refocus. And I do go through my times 
um, now that I, I get frustrated because there's a business in medicine, you know, I get frustrated by some of those things, um, you know, being in, working in some of these institutions, but I know largely that I still love medicine and I still love patient care. It's just sometimes it's the structure of medicine that I kind of get annoyed with. So I think that's what's been motivating me just when I see patients and, and, and actually what a pivotal moment for me was when I would see a patient that looked like me, I would have patients that don't know me and would be like, I'm proud of you keep on going. And that would motivate me like, man, you got to keep on doing this. Like, don't, you know, don't give up. So have you guys had any experiences like that? Yeah. I mean, I think I would be lying if I said no. I mean, it still happens now and I'm sure it'll continue into the future. I think for me more recently, it's become sort of the red flag sign for, for burnout, right? Because just like you're suggesting, you know, medicine is a thankless job. And for most of us, we're within hospital systems where, they're big machines and sometimes you just feel like you're a piece that they can insert and, and pull out. And so when you start to feel like you're losing control over your practice, when you feel like there's not enough time for you to balance your personal and professional life, I think naturally what happens is you question whether you're in the right place or not. I mean, it's, it's happened in med school when I question like, is this, is, is this really what I wanted to do? And then in residency, being in a predominantly white institution, Ivy League institution, with colleagues that could not at all identify or relate to who I was, I questioned it then. And then now as an ascending, there are days where the day ends and I, I just question whether I should be doing this and why I'm doing this. But I think, you know, that's when I try to like look, go through the list of the things that I've, I've committed to and, and hold myself accountable and acknowledge when I'm over committing so that I could take care of myself and still have the space and the time to be present with my patients and have them repeatedly remind me of why it is that I continue to make the daily sacrifice that, that I make. I think questioning is good because it, you grow from those experiences because it, it kind of puts up a light bulb in your head like, okay, is this normal? How am I going to move forward with this? And I use them as opportunities to grow. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a profession that I enjoy, so I don't have, you know, those headaches. But then again, my attending job starts in a week and a half, so you can ask me about that later. <laughs> but um, at least in, um, in residency and fellowship, um, when I faced those challenges, I, I did a similar thing to Daniela to, to just to see like, okay, how, how is this gonna affect my time? Um, I have three kids and a very supportive husband who's been okay with all the moves and all the extracurricular stuff that I had to do. Um, but it's, it's I, 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 think, um, I think we need those challenges, not all, all of them all at once, but I, I think it's, it's kind of like a force that will help you get better or more efficient at least. I would definitely say uh, medicine is not for the faint of heart. Um, I think if you don't go through medical school, residency, uh, and then fellowship questioning why you took on this insane journey at least once, <laughs> something might be wrong with you. I mean, it's, it, it, when they say it's a calling, it truly is. Because, you know, think about to all the resources, all of the support, 
all of the drive, the passion that it took to get us to this point in our career. This isn't a journey. It wasn't a solo journey. Mm -hmm. We all have supportive husbands, supportive family members. Um, To those that don't, you have a drive within yourself. I mean, I know that I went through medical school and you, you know, you're talking to some of your professors and all I'm thinking in the back of my mind is I had a really well-paying job before I came here. You know, it's, you know, then you go to residency and you're like, wow, you know, you know, you're dealing with uh, whatever challenge that's taking place. And you're thinking to yourself, like you said, is this the right residence for me? Is this the right spot? Then you get through that hardship and then, you know, you, you go to fellowship and you're like, well, why the heck did I even think about doing a fellowship? This was completely insane. What am I doing to myself? Mm-hmm. I should go work. I would say in each journey, <laughs> there was a point of major soul searching and major, and a question of what am I doing to myself? But I think for those people that are able to rise above that feeling, as an anesthesiologist, um, I would say we're probably, you know, one of the uh, for a few professions where we don't necessarily get any acknowledgement. We're like, you know, you know, we come in, we do our job and no one even knows who we are. No one knows our name. At the end of the procedure, the patient turns and thanks the surgeon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So if I went into anesthesiology thinking that I was going to be the all-star superstar, I would be a very unhappy person every day when I came home. But for me, I get a fulfillment. When, I, when a surgeon brings me a particularly challenging case and they say, you know, this patient is really sick, but they need this case performed for X, Y, and Z reasons, whether it's a malignancy, whether they want to walk again, but they have this type of organ dysfunction. And I get a joy out of meeting that challenge. And at the end of the case, looking at the patient and saying, you had a good outcome. And that was because of me. You know, when I leave, yes, I leave exhausted, but I leave fulfilled. And so, um, and I'm not sure there are other things out there that can do those things for me. So, yes, while, you know, I can list on two hands all of the downsides, I would say those days in which I'm able to take care of a really sick patient and have a decent outcome or even an excellent outcome, they, they overwhelmingly outweigh the bad days. Similar to everyone else, of course, they're about at every stage. I it was my probably my first year at the university we went to. There were a lot of encouragement a lot of times when minorities were challenged academically, where it was like, "You sure you want to do this, or you want to extend your road?" And so I was met with that at some point. I remember Andrea snatching me up like, "Girl, no, that's not you. Let's go." <laughs> And and even now, my parents will still be like, oh, how's your friend doing? We'll make it a fail at med school. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it was just such, so that was a, a point where it was like, you know, I was questioning, okay, can do I even have the aptitude to do like some basic sciences? Like, can I do it? Obviously I could. So I got through that. Um, residency, my biggest challenge was, did I choose the wrong place or was I where... Um, I was supposed to be, you know, my faith is very strong and I rely heavily on God kind of like telling me where I should be. And even at the time of match, I remember after I submitted my matches, I was like, oh no, I don't think this is where I was supposed to choose. And I remember like, I think I went to UMax and Sarah and I was like, y'all need to pray with me because I don't think I chose the right place. Mm -hmm. And then of course I got there and I hated it. 
So I was like, <laughs> obviously I did not choose the right place. <laughs> like I did not listen to the voice of God. And so I remember when I was on that inpatient rotation for the first time, I remember driving home, bawling, snot, tears, all of it. And I was having a full-on panic attack. I had to like pull over. I still remember the Walgreens parking lot. And I called my sister because I didn't want to go home with Chris and tell him this. I called, and I was just bawling. I was like, Jody, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pull out of this program. This is not where I'm supposed to be. No plans. Just just done. Mm-hmm. You know? And Jody was like, Don't do it. I'm gonna fly down tomorrow. My sister. And so that was probably the biggest time in residency. I was like, I'm done. I thought I'm exhausted. I'm sleep deprived from being in this hospital. And it's a thankless job. Like no one is like giving me the praises that I need because my personality to some degree does drive off of like compliments and like, yeah, girl, you're doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. so I didn't have that. And I was struggling Mm -hmm. because I was used to getting that. So that was a point. And then I got through it. And you know, when I left that program, I was so thankful for being there. Like I was, I cried. I remember sitting in one of my attendees offices and crying for not wanting to leave. So it was like all that stuff you go through, all the questioning, all the everything. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, once you get through the hard times, you get home and it is rewarding. I was talking to Chris my husband about bought it recently and I'm saying I just really like my job I think the only thing that that makes it difficult for me is literally doing that which is like the least of it you know yeah. so it's like but it shows anesthesia <laughs> <laughs> I know but I think at the end of it like you guys are all saying you know when you when you find somewhere where where you like you obviously have to question it it's good to do a pulp check every now and again but then you get those highlights that are like yeah this is where I'm supposed to be and I'm so glad I stuck through those tough times I'm so glad I was honest with myself and the ones who loved me when I was in those tough times and I got through them well, because of the sake of time like this conversation could go on and on but we're trying to wrap it you know down because I know everyone has things to do I just want to say what what is one thing that you would tell your younger self and I guess I'll start one thing I would have told my younger self that it's okay to just be you. It's okay to be you and be confident. That's one thing I, w- I would tell my younger self. I think it would have to be to doubt less, believe more. I think um, the one thing that I would say, I don't question the road because you don't know what's in it for you or what's there for you and it will allow you to grow. I had a lot of unknown, you know, going forward and at each step it was like a car. Am I doing the right thing? What's this? Just don't worry about it. Just know who you are and just move with the, um, the situation that you're placed in. Um, what I would say is, and I think everyone on this, uh, my fellow sister uh, doctors will say, is we all encountered someone on the road that told us that we could not get to this point. And what I would say to you is listen to your instincts, trust in yourself, and do not listen to the naysayers. The more they tell you that you cannot do it, that means the better that you must be doing. You must be doing some really good, good stuff. If people are telling you, no, you cannot make that, have that achievement. Mm-hmm. I've been discouraged at every part of the journey, even from my mom, and I love my mom. <laughs> but you have to listen to your own instincts and you have to see the plan that you have and don't deviate from the plan if that's what you truly believe in. I think that's 
that kind of echoes everything for me it would be learn who you are and don't compromise who you are for those who are around you i want to thank you guys so so much and we didn't even get to talk about the other topics but i think this was important you know this what we um, talked about right now is super important especially for those that may be listening maybe going through similar experiences being discouraged not sure so i'm just so happy that you guys took out your precious time really to come discuss this with me truly appreciate it for just chatting with me Thank you for doing this. No, thank you. Pleasure. All righty. Bye. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye.